This is Rob Tebbett for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. All right, Shane? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. How are you doing? You good? <laughs> yeah, not too bad, thanks. Delighted, as always, to be joined here today by Shane McWigan. We're down at the lovely University of Kent. How are you, Shane? Oh, lovely University of Kent. Thank you very much. Appreciate all the help. Um, I'm very good. I'm good, thanks, mate. Um, well rested, took a little bit of a break, uh, a few days off, um, and... Yeah, back, obviously, been back a good few weeks now, training away with JT, with Lawrence, CBS has just had a nice fight that's been announced, and uh, Malik Zinad as well, um, Libyan boxer I'm training, so yeah, gym's fine. Also had another new addition to the gym, it's sat on your left ear, can you explain that please? What's that? Yeah, that's... Um... <sighs> How do I explain <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a midlife crisis, maybe it's not. Um, my, my missus, Josephine, uh, my new missus said, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good idea. Um, I've got a lot of sticks, so I'm, I'm rocking it. I'm just, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing. Um, might change it to gold, might bling it up a little bit, blends in with a watch and that. So, um, yeah, I might go for the Mr. T look. It's an interesting look. Um, I'm, I'm, we're in Canterbury now, so I'm trying to blend in. Blend in how? There's lots of goths around here, there's lots of like emo kids, lots of indie kids, so I think, I think it's good. It's good for me. I think I can go uh, you know, incognito, a bit in disguise, and I think, you know, it takes a bit of you. I mean, there's grey hairs coming through, so this is a stressful job, it's a stressful life, and uh, you know, I've, it's a midlife crisis. <laughs> were you 31, 30? Turning 31, yeah. Wikipedia's got my name, uh, my age wrong, so I think it says I'm, I'm born in August, but now I'm in, I'm, uh, I'm in November, November the 8th. I remember now, your 30th birthday party was the same day as Usyk Belu, wasn't it? I don't know, I'm not a boxing fan, so it, it might have been. I remember it was because I couldn't come to your birthday because I was at the show. But oh, anyway, no. let's move on. Um, how was your break? I've, I've known you for a fair while now. I know you try and get away when you can, but it's not very often. You're somebody who has kind of an obsessive nature when it comes to the sport of boxing. When you're away, are you able to shut that off? Yeah, I mean, I've just said I don't really watch boxing, but you just said I'm obsessive. But uh, I know for a fact that you do watch a lot of boxing, but carry on. Yeah, I'm joking. Uh, no, it's, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good little break. And I'd been in camp. The thing about Taylor is Taylor had been in camp for a long time. Um, he had done a lot of rounds with Luke Campbell. He, he, we were preparing for a fight, which, a fight date a little bit earlier. The Sowlands kind of said, uh, you know, the, there was a there was an inkling of a date a little bit earlier um, in, in September. But then it got pushed back to the 26th of, of October. Obviously, Progress pulled that publicity stunt of himself pulling out. So, um, so yeah, I just, you know, I spoke with Josh and I was like, look, I think it's good to have a, have a deload week. And uh, we've done that. And then we come back in and, and um, we're flying. So um, break was good. Spent a lot of time eating a lot of food um, and just getting some vitamin D. So that was uh, very, very helpful. But... Um, but no, it's, 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 it's good. Obviously, what happened with my, my sister and that, um, I think you know, it was good to just clear the head and get, get away and try and um, just reflect. You mentioned Josh, and obviously he was part of Luke's, Luke Campbell's camp 
as he prepared for Vasil Lomachenko. How does that change things for Josh? I mean, he's not somebody who balloons up a lot in weight when, he, when he's out of the gym anyway, but having that kind of intense high-class sparring before coming into quote-unquote camp, how does that affect his preparation and your role as a trainer preparing him? Um, I think it's, it's only been beneficial. You know, the thing about Josh is he's quite he's quite good at managing, as you said, in managing his weight. So it's not like when we come into camp, we don't need 12, 14 weeks to drop a lot of weight. I think you know a good 10 week camp is good is good for Josh. He's always training. He's always yeah. He's got a little bit of an obsessive nature himself. Um, and you know we were just talking earlier about when he's out of camp that he hates running because he can't go out and do a four or five mile jog. It always turns into just you know him pushing himself in a sprint. So I think with Josh, we've got to manage him a little bit more. Um, man, you know, so he doesn't burn himself out. And um, but yeah, but this this camp's been it's been really good. And you know, I, I've, I've been training him since since he was an amateur you know obviously since uh, he turned professional but from the amateurs I should, should have said and uh, you know, he's been in my gym he's a gym rat you know he's, he's been in my gym the whole time whether he's in he had a fight uh, on the horizon or not he was always coming down always like wanting to be around uh, and learn and you know the, like I know his body I know the way he uh, where he performs well at you know where his weight's the best at and and this camp we've we've been at that weight for a very long time and um, he actually had some wisdom teeth taken out so he had to like be on a liquid based uh, liquid based diet and with that it dropped his weight down to like 69 68 69 kilos and um, and that was a good month and a half two months ago and um, yeah and he basically has been at the weight that weight ever since so um, I think the longer you're at your fighting weight the stronger and uh, more powerful you feel so you're not sort of a lot of boxers might be 70 say if they're boxing at 64 they might be good 10 11 kilos overweight then they'll spend that time dropping down then the last week or two weeks they'll cut the whole rest of the weight but then they're getting back to a weight that they haven't really settled at um, and with josh you know he spent a lot of time at that weight now he's properly settled at it and um you know because your energy is always a little bit low when you when you're cutting weight but he's been eating loads of food and he's been you know, eating more food than he normally would um, to maintain his weight now because um, he's, you know, he's been in camp for such a long time and I think it's, uh, it's been a benefit. Spoke to Josh about well an hour ago. Seems very relaxed. I mean, the fight that we always inevitably end up going back to is the Victor Postol fight um, back at the well, middle of last year, around June time last <laughs> year, where he wasn't necessarily relaxed, certainly on fight night. How has he changed since then, in your opinion? I mean, he, as I say, he does seem a little bit more... Yeah, relaxed is probably the word that I'm going with. Um, yeah, I think he's got confidence in himself. Even before the Postle fight, he hadn't really done the distance. I mean, he'd done like 11 rounds of... Um, he'd done 11 rounds... He'd done eight rounds in Vegas, and then he'd done 11 rounds of um, Vasquez. Um, and then it was like, oh, yeah, I'm... And even then, he was he was in control. He was always the one in control of the pace. And I think, you know, he obviously knew uh, Postle was, was, a, was a former world champion, and he wasn't as... You know, he wasn't done at all he was still quite fresh so um, I think he was just worried about the distance and he has an unbelievable engine um, and he can he can recover like that I mean it's because of the the intensity that he trains at but even then doesn't matter how fit you are you're still going to doubt yourself against someone that's a bit more seasoned and I think you know the postal fight he's just matured mentally so much from it because he's he went a distance um, he got a little bit hurt in the fight um, and, and managed to get his way through it. And also, just he didn't box very well. 
I mean, he just he just didn't box to his best ability, and I think he didn't box the best to his best ability because of the way he was like stressing the whole way through camp. Oh, I don't know, like, and it wasn't nothing was really flowing. So even since, I mean, we had some sparring sessions this camp, and you're thinking like, whoa, like, you know, you're you're getting hit far too much, so you're not performing. Like, come on, like, just give me an extra five ten percent, and. Then he's, you know, he, and as it's, it's human nature to start not necessarily doubting yourself, but just getting getting frustrated at yourself. And you know, if that had been three, four fights ago, he would be going, oh, panicking. But he knows it's just this is this is what happens. This is part of camp. Some days you feel good, and other days you feel terrible, and you go feel like you're back to being a novice, and you're like Jesus. But that's your body just being tired, and um, and it's part of the camp life. And I think. Uh, you know, since since that postal fight, he's just he's just taken so much from it. He he obviously boxed Ryan Martin, which was quite an easy fight, but the whole way through that camp, he was, you know, he was in such he was in such good shape, and his headspace was good. And then obviously the Baron Check fight, as well, headspace is good, weight was good. Obviously we had that little um, issue with the scales, and he drunk some water after it, and then Roach and. But you know, even then, that would have offset so many fighters, and it might have offset offset him if it had have been you know, in his 10th or 11th fight, but um, he just was like, that's right, let's get the weight off and I'll just get back on the scales. Because he'd already drunk, you know, a pound's worth or half a pound's worth of water, so he had to go and skip. And, and that just shows you that, like, you know, he's matured massively. And I think the fact that he has had a postal fight before he entered the tournament and then he's had a, a relatively easy fight but then he had a baron check fight which was like it was a hard fought it wasn't a technical fight but it was a hard fought 12 rounds you know your engines you know is there he had to dig in a couple of times as well because it was physically draining and uh, you know you wouldn't want that in close succession but the fact that we've had a longer period of, period of time to rest now as well uh, just means that you know he's he's going to be the one that is uh, more prepared moving into this final because Progress had two two relative walkovers. You know, Flanagan just had been beaten by Morris Hooker in the fight before. He looked a little bit gun shy and just stood off him, and didn't really force the pace and just let him let him box uh, to his just box to his uh, game. And Relic dropped about forty pounds in, in a short space of time because he ballooned up in weight and then and then crashed the weight and um, and that was also a relatively easy fight. So, you know, I think Progress is actually in a, at a disservice because he hasn't had a test. This fight's, I think it's fair to say, the biggest fight of Josh's career, unified world title fight, final of the World Boxing Super Series. With kind of Josh's intensity, certainly in, I know what he's like sometimes in fight week, do you have to look out more when you're going into a big fight like this? Are you more wary of his kind of his mental state going into such a big fight? No, I think because... I think just the fact that we've we've done so many camps together and we've spent so many years together, I think, you know, and he knows that he's seen boxers like Groves being in the final. He's seen um, Frampton being a, in a unification fight against Quigg and then going out to, to the States. I mean, he's travelled with these guys and he's seen Hay the whole way through the Bellu fight as well uh, in box office as well. So it's like he's he's been around it and I don't think he gets phased by it. I think he's the kind of guy that's been relishing this opportunity and you know he wants to be the best in the in the division and i i believe you know progre is him and progre are the two best in the division i think that both of them beat um ramirez who's the other unified champion so um 
I think this is literally for the the ring magazine. This is for the, the this is the unification fight for them to see who's number one division. And I think that's something that he spent his whole life working towards achieving. And you know, there's certain boxers that are gym fighters that that look brilliant in the gym, and then they go out there underneath the lights on on fight night, and they just don't perform. But Josh Taylor definitely performs, and uh, he's proved he's shown me me that, and he's proved that to everybody so far that he he just loves it. He just he relishes that, that, that occasion. Second World Boxing Super Series final for yourself as a trainer. Obviously, the first one didn't go your way. Sorry, George. Um, is there... <laughs> yeah, sorry. Is there not more pressure on you, but are you looking at this as an opportunity for you to not necessarily right the wrongs? It's two different fights, but do you really? does that give you added inspiration to win it this time around, the fact that you came close last year and didn't? Um... I mean, I always, I always want my fighters to win, and I always want to to make sure that you know we we tick all the boxes. But I mean, going into Saudi Arabia, you know, George had had a dislocated shoulder, um, and that was just a struggle. The whole way through that camp was just a struggle. Um, couldn't spar as much, so you know, I feel a lot more confident going into going into this final because you know. Um, I think you know it was also for the ring magazine belt as well it's 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 like the fact that we don't have to go to Saudi Arabia is a benefit you know as well um going to somewhere that we don't know the culture and stuff like that and also the fact that you know George George's shoulder wasn't 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 up to scratch so um you know it would have always been a really hard fight no matter what without his shoulder you know and it just sort of it was a tough one that camp but um uh, going into this final, I'm, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more confident, and also just I really want to, yeah, I really want one of my fighters to get their hands on that massive trophy and bring it back to this, to the gym, and and also for, for I mean, I've, I've never had a, a ring magazine uh, world champion, so I think that would also be a nice touch. Following the footsteps of uh, current trainer of the year, Joe Gallagher, if you win, um, I know that I mean a lot to you, uh, Luke Campbell. Actually, no, before we talk about Luke Campbell, <laughs> before we talk about Luke Campbell, Lawrence Okoli, of course, returns to the ring on the same night. Yeah. Even Garby, you've told me since the, the time that you started working with Lawrence that you'll see the best of him when you, you face opponents that are going to come to win. Even Garby is going to represent that. What can we expect in that fight? Um, it's going to be a great fight. I really, really think it's going to be a good fight. I think Garby is a very good fight. He's, he's European champion. Um, big strong well he's not that tall but he's just a big set he's a solid lump um, can punch a lot you know, he's been trained by Ingle as well he's a good trainer so they'll have a good game plan so it's, it's a nice one it's a good one for us to get our teeth stuck into and I think um, you know with, with Lawrence as well um, you know as I said the best is yet to come with him um, and he likes guys to sort of not open themselves up to try and win but you know a lot of the time when you try and when you try and punch with it with Lawrence like you you are going to leave gaps and I think you know um, up until now he's you know he's he's either knocked somebody out or he's sort of labored to a points decision and I think you know this is gonna this this he can't he can't hold me inside because Ngarbo is good in close and um, he works the body well and I think you know it's going to be a, a a higher pace fight than what he's used to but I've, I've now had this second camp with him the first camp was a long camp anyway because the Jack Massey fight fell through and then um, and just the fact that we've had had a lot of time together that means that you know I, I've had more time to implement what, what I want uh, technically from him 
and he just takes to it really well. So I think the fact that Ngabu will be so determined to win the fight and even if he's down six rounds to three or something late on, he's, gonna re he's not going to be happy to, to just go and, and lose on points. He's going to open himself up and try and wing and, um, and try and really take, take uh, Lawrence's head off. And I think in doing so, I think Lawrence will, uh, will knock him out. Now that card, there was the, hoo the whole hoo-ha at the press conference between Derek Chisora and well, everybody else who was at the press conference. Um, that fight's now fell through. We've, we've, we've woke up this morning to news that Joseph Parker's had to withdraw from the fight. Does that change? Apparently an illness. I spoke to Kevin Barry this morning. He wouldn't go any deeper than that. Just said it was an illness. Was it a spider bite? I don't know. Okay. But anyway, does, does that, how does that change, if at all, the show in general? Because obviously much was made of the fact that it was rolled into one. Parker Chisora, Taylor Progray. Does that change anything for you guys? Is it still just business as, as usual? What's, what can you tell me? There's no change for us. I mean, um, I think, you know, Parker... Parker Chisora would have been a good fight, but I don't think it would be anywhere near as good of a fight as Progress versus Taylor. And, and even Lawrence versus Ngarbo, I think that's an even better fight, I think. Um, you know, Chisora is exciting, but he's so unpredictable, you don't really know what you're going to get with him. Um, and I think a, a young, fresh Parker would have just boxed his ears off. Um, you know, and I just, I think that would, that, it was maybe they might put him in with a, a lesser opposition and, and it might even be a better fight so we'll, we'll see but it doesn't really change the dynamics for us anyway because you know the 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 um just the thing that we're concentrating and focus on is that we're topping the bill and that it's it's headlining it for a unified world world champion with two unbeaten guys not nine or ten losses on his, on one of their records you know it's uh it's it's about um, it's about the best versus the best, and you know. And uh, if Chisora goes on the card, obviously I think he will. He'll probably box somebody else. But um, yeah, you know what you get with Derek Chisora. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a good fight. But but um, but yeah, it's not it's not world elite world level boxing. What was going through your mind when he was going through his whole Derek Chisora rigmarole at the press conference, talking about he should be topping the bill, etc. What were your thoughts on that? I wasn't there. Dad went to that one. And, and I seen it and I just thought, it just, it reeks of, uh, of David Hay. Um, it reeks of them, like the two of them just plotting something just to wind, wind somebody up and upset the apple cart. So um, I didn't take any notice of it. Lawrence was in here earlier, uh, tongue in cheek, talking about he would potentially step in to face Derek Chisora. Yeah, I think you know. Obviously, that that was that's he's going to move to heavyweight at some stage. But then you're, you're he's joking about it. But the fact that you know, you know, I think the fact that that Lawrence believes that he could beat Derek Chisora um, is is a good thing. You know, the fact that he's so confident in his own ability. But for now, our task is um, Ngarbu, and we actually, you know, it would have been good good sparring for us to go up and spar Chisora, but. Um, but yeah, I don't think um, I don't think Lawrence is going to move up to heavyweight yet. Luke Campbell, how is Luke? Um, haven't seen him since a couple of days after the fight. We sat down and did an interview. Um, seemed in relatively good spirits at the time. How is he? 
Um, he's good. He's on great form. Uh, he's going to Turkey for a wedding, I think, today or tomorrow for a couple of days. So, um, he's yeah, he's on good form. Myself, uh, my brother Jake, and Eddie Hearn. We all sat down with Luke uh, last week, and we sort of plotted where where we want to go and, and what sort of fights are on the horizon. And obviously, at the same time, Devin. Oh, thank God. Uh, sorry, the sounds has the sounds has gone off. The 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 heating systems has gone off. Uh, yeah, and then Devin Haney obviously was doing a press tour at the same time. So we were saying, you know, potentially that's a good fight for us. You know, we would love that. We would love that fight. Um, but yeah, he's he's good. He's just he's he's resting up. I think he's probably going to get get a fight in late December, um, well mid December in LA. I think um, there's there's potentially a design show. Um, in um on the 13th of december and we'll probably look to go out on that um so that will just be like a little 10 round tick over for him and then we'll look to maybe bring a show back um in like a hole or something like that uh, and then and then get a, a world title fight in the summer next year um it's just a tricky one javante davis has now moved up to, to lightweight which we thought you know that lomachenko would potentially sort of move back down or because he, he was speaking about going down to, to, to 130 pounds, even 126. So, um, you know, for us, we were like, okay, we'll, we'll see what sort of, we'll keep ourselves active and we'll see what governing body we want to go down. Um, to, that's going to give us a fair shot. And now that the tank has moved up, um, he's number one in the WBA. But... But yeah, we've just got to, you know, we've just got to stay, stay active and stay positive and work our way up. I think we'll, we'll either try and get up um, the WBC again, or we'll go the WBO route or IBF, um, because it's hard to keep all the governing bodies happy. You know, when you you, you want to fight for all four belts, but even if you unify as all four belts with the IBF, at some stage one of them's going to strip him because you can't fight. You know, your mandatory is going to be sitting there waiting and and and. He's going to want just solely big fights, and you just, you know, one of those belts is going to come off him. So, um, yeah, it's it's just it's just a keeping him active now, keeping him positive, and you know, he's he's come off a although it, it was a loss, it was a great performance, and you know, I think he caused Lomachenko a lot more problems than people gave Luke credit that he was going to do. <sighs> Let's just talk for it. Um, are they? Is that what they are? They're like. Motion, oh, motion lights. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of people were were surprised at how how effective Luke was, and I think um, a lot of people saying, you know, if if he'd have been in there with anybody else, he would be world champion. And um, he hasn't had an easy route. He's he's boxed, you know, Linares for and lost on a split, and his dad passed away ten days before it, so he wasn't in the best headspace, and he's rebuilt himself, and then had to box, you know, the best fighter in our generation really him and him and him and Canelo are at the moment they're the two guys that you know they're, they're guys that are pioneering the sport and I think uh, it's just he's it's just he had 396 amateur fights and then he lost one and yeah he's just a he's a very very good fighter and I think the fact that we had to go in against him as well was it was a was a tough one for us you know but he didn't. He, he did himself a load of. Uh, uh, he, he did himself a, a load of credit and and put on a great performance and got hurt a couple of times in the fight. Bit down his gum shield and, and showed his his true champion that warrior mindset inside him and um, 
got up and fought to the end and was still dangerous the whole way through. So uh, I would like a Devon Haney fight for him. I would like, you know, I'm, Richard Comey's going to be boxing. Uh, he's going to be boxing Lomachenko, but I'd still love something like, you know, like that fight, for instance, if it was for a world title. If, if he didn't fight for, if uh, if he didn't fight um, Comey, yeah. So yeah, I know he's got to fight Lopez. I think he's going to beat Lopez though. I think Comey will beat him. Why do you think that? Why do I think that? Because I just think that. I think he's he's had more tests. He's had more acid tests and he's come through them. And I think, you know, I used to I used to bring Frampton over to do a lot of sparring with Comey and I just know that he's a, he's a good, good fighter. And he's got, you know, Taylor sparred him as well um, when he was based in Essex and that. And um, he's heavy-handed and he's, a, he's an effective guy. And I think uh, he's really learnt his craft, I think. Lopez has got some vulnerabilities, maybe. Chris Billum-Smith has got himself a fight. Um, returns on November the 23rd against Craig Glover. Good to see him back in the ring. Um, obviously, the last time we saw him in the ring was against Richard Riakpo. Talk to me about that fight. Um, yeah, I mean, Riakpo fight was, was a good fight, but I think... I don't know, I, I watched it back on, and the commentary was just terrible. Um, the Sky commentary was, was favouring uh, Reactpour, just his big wide misses and, and just because he was sort of push, pushing the pace. But um, I don't, I, I think, I thought we won it. I thought we won it by a couple. Um, but we didn't get it. We, we literally, we, you know, we, we lost it by one point and that was to do with a knockdown. That was... You know, he pushed him into the ropes as well. So, and a few rounds later, Chris hit him with a left hook, and the ropes sort of kept him up, but nothing was called. Um, it was just a bit of a bitter pull to swallow with that one. Um, but he had the champion's rights, and you know, we can't, we can't, yeah, we can't sort of get too get too offended by it. We've got to go out there and and try and try and beat Craig Glover, which I think he will. Um, I mean, the two of them are sparring. It's going to be a great fight. They um, both their both their styles will really blend well. They both like to fight mid to short range, um, and it's just going to be a fantastic TV fight. The two of them sparring was was brilliant, and you know I know that Bellu didn't really want it, and coming off a loss for us, we were like, you know, it's quite a tough fight. Um, but we both the two of them have to take the opportunity, and you know when when Lawrence wins this European title, I think uh, he'll probably vacate the. The Commonwealth, and that will probably be for the vacant Commonwealth title. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good one. You know, we we've managed to get him a good quality fight straight off the bat after a after a loss. So, um, but you know, it's it's only a learning fight for him. I think you know, Chris himself will, will admit that he took a lot from that fight, and he he walked away from it very very gutted and and disappointed because he knows that he had more to offer, and um, you know. But once again, we had to take the react poor fight because of opportunity. You know, like you're not going to be unless you go to Olympics and unless you're you've got a got a huge sort of profile behind you. You're not going to get those opportunities. And the way boxing is at the moment in in the UK, there's so many good pros and there's so many talented people out there. And you need to be in competitive fights to to get titles. And um, and we you know we took that fight. So, but. It was uh, it was it was a good fight for him, and you know it was a great learning experience for him, and 
you know, he was, he was tired in a fight and he was using up a lot of unnecessary energy. And if they ever boxed again, I, I believe he'd, he'd beat him. So hopefully, you know, we can get this for a Commonwealth title and, and, and beat Craig Glover and then get the rematch uh, if Riyadh boxes Massey and wins against Massey uh, for, for British and Commonwealth title fight later down, well, not later down the year, but next year. Coming off that loss to Rich Riyadh Going into a fight against Craig Glover, which is, you know, it's, as you've mentioned, he's going into a good fight. It's not a six-rounder or an eight-rounder against somebody at the bottom of a card. What do you expect Chris to have learned from the first fight that he can bring into this fight, considering that he's boxing that at a good standard and not coming back at that kind of level? Um, well, he's, he's, he's learned that, yeah, I mean, that was his first time he did a ten-rounder, um, and this will be a twelve-rounder. Um, dependent on the title and um, you know he's coming back into camp well to be honest he came back into camp a little bit unmotivated because it was like you know he sort of thought he would have to rebuild and I said look let's just be patient we actually got him out on a, on a card on October the 12th we were planning to get him a little six rounder just to keep busy and then uh, you know I was making phone calls with Eddie and, and sort of pushing pushing to get him out and he said look I'll tell you what, we were going to do Hyde versus um, Glover, but, you know, let, what about Billum Smith? I said, that's great, we'll take that. And, you know, um, got to thank Eddie Hearn because he really delivered on that one and um, got to really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to get him out again. Moving away from all things McGuigan's gym, um, this past weekend, Errol Spence versus Sean Porter, a fight I know you would have watched um, with a close eye. Yeah. Talk to me about that fight. Great fight, what a fight. Um, I mean, it was a nip and tuck fight the whole way through. I think Spence tried to fight him at his own game, tried to roughhouse him a little bit too much rather than, than keep it sensible and just sort of stick on the jab a little bit more. I think, you know, he really, whether Kenny Porter and Sean Porter got into his head, you know, he just wanted to like knock him out. Um, and with that, I think he just he didn't box to his best ability. But what a fight it was! It was a, an amazing fight, and up until the the knockdown, it was nip and tuck, you know. Um, and I only think it was nip and tuck, just as I said, just because Spence wasn't really thinking; he was just hunting down. And um, I actually watched an interview on one of the build-ups. It was like an interview with um, Mayweather and uh, and Spence talking about how. Spence is going to take over the welterweight division and stuff and how they did some rounds together sparring and stuff and he was just like you know you're just far too eager that's what he was like when he was younger and he was like you know as you get older you understand that you know just sticking to the jab and making it a little bit more boring and basic is is the way to do it and um, I think you know that 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 fight in itself was was an amazing fight but it was it could have been made so much so much easier for um, for Spence but he really tried to like roughhouse him and and match him on the inside, and um, Port was just so unorthodox and so so physical that um, it became it became a closer fight than expected. Uh, before the fight, you said that you didn't expect Porter yeah, to see the final bell. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, we've seen in the last fight Mikey Garcia. We've seen it now with Sean Porter. I mean, Sean Porter's very tough and very rugged, but I asked the question anyway. Do you think that Spence's power potentially is a little bit overrated at world level, elite level? No, I don't think so. I think Spence chose the power lock glove. Um, he sort of normally chooses an MX glove, which is like a more punches glove, and he chooses the Grants. But I think he was probably thinking, I'm going to hit Porter loads, and he's 
very physically puts his head down, so you're going to be hitting the top of his head a lot. So he's probably he, he put a little bit more padding. He used the power lock gloves, which is it's just a, a much safer glove. And I think um, that that probably did him a little bit of of a disservice. Um, he probably, you know, if if I was if I was advising him, I would have said, you know, wear the MXs because if you hit him clean, he'll go. And he did hit him clean later on in the fight, and um, he did he did drop. But you know, um, I don't think his powers um, overrated. I think his powers is there, but I just think he never hit him clean once. And I think when he did hit him, it was a, it was a cracking shot. But yeah, you know, Sean Porter's just a, uh, he's he's a he's a beast you know he's just such a physical guy with a great chin um, and I remember when I was out there he was when we were out there Taylor was doing a lot of rounds with him but then he was also mixing it in in a few of the other days with Caleb Plant who's a super middleweight world champion and I just think like he's used to getting hit by big lumps uh, Porter because he used to box at 165 pounds a 75 kilo division when he was an amateur so I think he, he, you know he's used to, to absorbing a lot of power shots I think um you know, and I, and I think he's just got he's got a good chin, but um, you know the the yeah the Spence that turned up you know just never hit him properly clean once. Danny Garcia climbed into the ring afterwards. By all accounts, that's the fight that's going to happen next. Apparently, what do you make of that fight? Um, I think that's a, I mean there was rumours that it was going to be Manny Pacquiao, wasn't it, for for another unification? And then I don't know what's going on there. Um, I would advise Manny Pacquiao not, I mean, you'd have no, you're not, never going to listen to me, but <laughs> I would advise him not to take the Errol Spence fight because let, let it's, this is, it's a young man's sport and someone like Errol Spence is, is so fresh. But, um, but yeah, Danny Garcia would be a great fight because he's life and he's young himself. You know, he's, um, he's got a good left hook um, and obviously Sean Porter beat him, but I, I just think... He's a he's a more technical fighter than than, um, than Sean Porter, and I think him versus Errol Spence would be a great fight. I still think Spence would probably beat him, maybe maybe stop him, but um, it would be a great fight. So I think you know him versus Garcia, him versus Pacquiao, him versus Crawford's the the one that everyone wants to see. But I think that politics will take a lot of time. You know, um, Bob Arum and, and, and Al Heyman will, will really struggle to get that fight made until the public really demand it. And I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, beats, beats Garcia and cleans up, potentially beats Pacquiao, and then, then Crawford fight, you know, the, the two of them will want it. And in time, I think it, it might happen. But, uh, but yeah, I think he's the guy at the moment. Um, Spencer's the guy at the moment that people want to tune in to watch. And, even though Garcia's had a loss in his record and stuff, I think he's still he's still a credible opponent. I haven't seen you since I got back from Las Vegas. Went out to watch Tyson Fury against Otto Balin. I yeah. think um, it's fair to say that was a lot more competitive, a lot more dramatic than people had anticipated going in. What did you make of the fight? You're going to ask me what I made of the fight, but you know I would have only seen highlights of that fight. Um, I was I was on a little break. But from what I saw, I tuned in the next day and I, w I watched two rounds and I was like, oh, this is going to be a, a boring fight. And then I texted you and you said, it was actually a really entertaining fight. But then, you know, but then I, so I rewatched it and I thought, I just think the cut in itself forced Fury to box a certain way and take, 
too many risks. And I think the fact that Fury is not a one-punch knockout artist, it, it, with that lower opposition, it's, he's never going to look like he's just devastating. But the fact that whenever he goes up and boxes like the likes of Wilder or potentially AJ or, or whoever, or the, the big guys that, that are, you know, like, let's be honest, AJ would have destroyed um, Otto in two or three rounds, do you know what I mean? And so would John T. Wilder. But put Fury in against the two of them and he's so clever and fiddles about and I think uh, he causes problems. Um, so, I, you know, I, I just, I wouldn't read into too much about Tyson Fury and thinking that, you know, that he's going backwards or that Ben Davison's wrong for him. I, I've heard a lot of criticism and I think it's massively unjust. Um, I just think Tyson Fury will, will always struggle to look the part because of his lack of power, you know. Uh, but when he's when he's in against the top guys, he causes problems. And I think he's stiff enough hitter. You know, most massive punches are, have a uh, have a element and sense of uh, vulnerability, you know, within them. So. You know, like he hurt Wilder a few times, but I just think, you know, I just think um, he performs his best when he's he's up, he's really up for it and he's he's in against uh, proper opposition. With a cut as bad as that, I mean, there's forty something stitches. Do you think, from your personal opinion, it's it's realistic to expect him to to fight Wilder in February? That's the fight they're talking about. I mean, there seems to be a little bit up in the air now following that injury. What's your thoughts? It does seem a little bit ambitious, um, but everybody's everybody's body heals differently, um, and you know Tyson Fury's. I think he spars a lot of the time without a head guard. I mean, he's that's the only problem. If he's sparring without a head guard, that thing's going to open up a lot, um, and he's going to have to look. He's going to have to be careful with it and take his time. And I, I, I mean, if I was advising him, I would say, do not rush back. The public's going to demand that Wilder rematch anyway, so just take your time, be on your schedule, and uh, if it means that you're forcing it back to, to April, May, June, then so be it, because he's not strapped for cash. He's, he's made a lot of money. Wilder's not strapped for cash, and you know, I just think, just let it heal and, and give yourself the best opportunity to go into a full training camp and, and prepare the, the right way. Wilder himself has announced the fight. Luis Ortiz, November the 23rd, same night as Mr. Billum Smith over there. Um, what do you make uh, of that fight? Heard he's on CBS Glover's undercard, but <laughs> with yeah, what would I make of it? Um, I think it was a great fight the first time. Taylor boxed that night, I think. What, what fight was it? Taylor versus. I think it would have been, yeah, Campos, yeah, the guy that um, thing he pulled out, and then we got that late replacement. Mm. But yeah, he 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 was hurt. Obviously, in the first fight, Wilder was hurt a lot, and um, it was just a great fight. The two of them were were slinging in wide, heavy shots, and uh, yeah, he got the knockout. But I just I see I see him sort of being far too fresh for for Ortiz in the rematch. You know, he said he's had another couple of years. I mean, I don't know what age he is now. He must be 46, 47. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows, but. Um, you know, and he's had so many drug bans. I, I, you know, I, I just think like the best Ortiz was years ago, and um, Wilder will chin him. Something just popped into my head. I forgot about this. I'll get your opinion. Nigel Ben returning to the ring, uh, 55 years of age. Thoughts? I think. I think he's bonkers, but I, d I also don't want to 
be disrespectful to him because I've got so much respect for him. Um, and if, if, this is, if this is the thing that gives him peace, then so be it. I mean, everyone bat battles demons day to day. And, you know, I, I've heard him saying that he, you know, he felt like his career was a bit of a lie and I felt, you know, and that he had depression and that he was in a, in amongst the, probably a haze, um, as people are when they suffer that. But, you know, it's a long time. It's a long time since that Collins fight. Um, and Saki Obika is past his best, but he's just so physically strong and such a great chin. And I just, I'm just... I just hope that he gets, it's not for too many rounds, it's maybe a six rounder or an eight rounder, I don't, max an eight rounder. I mean, I, I, would, I would force something, I mean, you know, like looking after him, I would try and get the lights one sec. Um, thanks, Chris. Um, I would force um, the Dark Destroyer. <laughs> wow, that was him speaking. Um, no, I would force him to, I'd force him to, or the people around it to make sure that they're wearing safe gloves, that um, that it's not it's not it's not going to like uh, it's not going to be too many rounds, you know, because it's just you, as you get older, you know, you just you, as humans we get a bit more vulnerable, there's more aches and pains, and and that's exactly the same with the head. I mean, the head is surrounded by cerebral fluid, and you got to make sure like. He's cutting weight as well at, fi at 55 years of age. I just, it just it doesn't make me feel feel good about it. The sport, you know, I don't think it doesn't make me feel safe. And this is a sport that you know I love so much, but it's it's a young man's sport. And you know, you got people like Hopkins that went into his 50s, but yeah, he was yeah he was active the whole way through. He was getting used to getting hit, and uh, and even then against Kovalev, that last that last fight against Kovalev was sickening, you know, and I just think like, Joe sorry, yeah, Joe Smith, but even the Kovalev, but the Kovalev fight was when he took such a beating, and then the Smith fight, yeah, but um, it just he took, he just went on too long, and I, and like you know the 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 Bernard Hopkins that that was um, that was boxing in his thirties was just not the same man, and, and I think uh, Nigel just. I mean, he's he's a clever guy, and he's 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 got himself a lot of money, and he's invested his money well, um, you know. But but maybe but maybe having that, having his son being in the spotlight and and being in the boxing uh, world has 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 been a, you know it's been it's been bad for him because he's it's sort of brought out that inner demon that he's he's always wanted to do. Okay, well, just before we finish, um, won't go too much into it, but KSI Logan Paul, I'm not going to ask you about the fight. What I want to know is if you had the opportunity to put Josh Taylor on that undercard, would you take it? Absolutely, yes, I would. Because um, DAZN is... A, DAZN, I mean, I spoke to Eddie at length about how they built up DAZN and how they've invested it, and I think it's a fantastic business model, and obviously they're going into different countries now, and they're getting different different uh, subscribers, and every time someone like Canelo boxes, there might be two, three hundred extra subscribers because he's bringing in this audience that's consistent um, of Mexicans and Americans and just boxing fans over the world. But somebody like KSI and and Logan Paul. I mean, I went to I think it was my brother's wedding like last year, and I went to to there, and my little cousin Bronwyn was like, she goes there. 
you're, you're friends with KSI. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, he follows you on Instagram and you follow him back. And I was like, that's mad. Like, I, I've never seen any, like, obviously he's come down the gym, but I've mm. never been, in a, been in, like a YouTuber. I don't spend my time on YouTube. I don't spend my time like watching influencers and stuff like that. And how much of like, I mean, at that same party, at that same wedding, there was Taylor, there was so many boxing names and there was like famous faces as well. And I was just thinking like, wow, you were just obsessed with KSI. And I think it just brings in a different audience. It just brings in, and Logan, um, uh, is it Paul Logan or Logan Paul? Uh, he's just, he's got a huge following in the States as well. So even if 10% of the audience that tune in that night, that buy the zone and then they cancel it and 10% keep their subscription it's a very smart business move from design but also to get traction and following from people that that you that are never normally going to tune into boxing and i think it's it would it would if josh if josh was on that undercard i'd be like a 100 percent get on it because you're just opening yourself up to a, a whole new fan and also the people that are, are boxing fans as well get a chance to see it so it's a it's a very very clever move just quickly, because the troops are assembling, you've got to do a circuit, um, which I'll definitely, definitely be out of here before you start. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, like you said, I know KSI came into the gym when you were over at Wandsworth. What kind of level is he? What kind of, I mean, because I didn't watch the first fight. I mean, what kind of, yeah, what did you make of him while he was in the gym, so to speak? I mean, he's improved probably since then, and that, like, but they're 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 like not white collary amateur boxing sort of level. But the good thing is, is the two of them are boxing at that standard together. I mean, I wouldn't say to KSI, I don't know what weight this is matched at. Maybe a light heavyweight. Go in there and fight Bivol or better bite. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'd be like, well, but you know, like if if they were to turn pro and box normal boxers, they would get found out. Even journeymen would find that. You know, would 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 be too much for them but the fact that they're boxing another influencers and they're just too raw novices. I, I don't particularly like the fact that it's, it's got 10 ounce horse head gloves on and and and, um, and they both got the potential of getting stretched I mean it's not that's not going to be fun for, for us to watch I mean, it's, it's when you see somebody getting knocked out and they're capable of handling themselves and you think okay well, that's the sport of boxing but when somebody's getting knocked out that just is is an untrained athlete that for the first time he's getting hit with proper wraps on, 10 ounce gloves on, no head guards. It's, it's a different, it's a different sport. And you know, the two of them are, the two of them are athletes. So they'll both be able to punch, punch each other with a decent amount of force behind it. But it's about how you slip catch and how you, you keep your senses and how you don't get like, you know, the rabbit in headlights sort of psh, starstruck by it. And, um, yeah, I just think, I, I don't know, I, I, I just think it's a bit, it's good for boxing in one way, but it's also bad for, for it, it might expose us for a little bit. Golovkin, Derevianchenko, quickly before we go. <sighs> Golovkin, Derevianchenko. Golovkin did not look good in his last fight, did he? You just said that. I don't believe he looked at his best against Steve Rolls, no. Okay, um, you should be neutral, but you're not. You asked my opinion. Well, okay, yeah. Uh, Derevchenko, obviously Danny Jacobs beat him, but he's he's a decent puncher. But and Golovkin, I don't know. I, I think Golovkin's going to beat him, but I don't think it's going to be a walkover. Um, 
but once again, he's past his best, but Derevinchenko must have had five amateur fights, so he's also past his best, but the two of them are, are decent punchers, and they've both got a good chins, um, and I think it's going to be an exciting fight. It'll be a, it'll be a war with Golovkin. Everyone says, why doesn't he just get up on his toes and move about and jab? Because that's the Golovkin that everyone knew in the amateurs. He had the ability to do that. I think training in, in Big Bear for so many years and and the fact that he's 36, is he 36 now? 37. Uh, 37. I just think he doesn't have that ability to get and, and make fights easy for himself anymore. And I think he's going to... Um, he's going to be in a hard fight, but I think he'll come for it with a win. Okay, well, thanks very much as always for speaking to Boxing Social, Mr. McGuigan. Nice to see you. Nice to see all of the guys in the gym, and nice to see your new mate there on your left ear. Um, <laughs> thanks very much as always. We'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate it, headbutt. Thanks, mate. <laughs>